0: From the University of Chicago, this is Big Brains with Paul M. Rand. Conversations with pioneering thinkers that will change the way you see the world.
1: For all of our technological advances, nature still puts human ingenuity to shame. But how does it do it? Rama Ranganathan is a molecular biologist and he's trying to figure out the rules of nature and how to apply them to engineering. And he calls this field evolutionary physics. If he can unlock the mystery, it could lead to some truly awe-inspiring breakthroughs. I talked to Rama about his research and why he looks to the past to understand where biology is headed in the not-so-distant future. So your new field,
2: if this is the right term, is evolutionary physics? So physics of evolution or evolutionary physics are both very good ideas because uh, what we're borrowing from evolution is the problem. And what we're borrowing from physics is the approach or the ethic, which is to take a bunch of complex observations and reduce them to a simple uh, law in the way that the motions of the planets and the motions of uh, the universe the, or the uh, galaxies going around and what holds us to the surface of the earth were all explained as manifestations of one thing, which is gravity, Great. right? So in that same way, we want to have uh, the sim- simple understandings of, the, of, of, the, of, of cells. But this is, it requires us to, uh, to put together the way people think in physics with the richness of the uh, measurements and and ways of, of thinking in biology. Tell me how in the world you've got to this point in
1: your career. What <laughs> what what prompted the focus in this area? How did you you get to this stage? Well,
2: this for me has been a long-term uh, matter of interest. So it, when I was an undergraduate, actually, in studying engineering, I was amazed by our ability to be able to build very complex systems By with very simple underlying rules so that we can build electronic circuits, we can send uh, satellites uh, to orbit, we can uh, do all these amazing things uh, because we understand the underlying principles. And during that time, I was also looking over there at biology, and what amazed me was uh, the uh, incredible performance characteristics of biological systems, uh, kinds of systems that we would love to be able to build as engineers but we didn't have the basic underlying rules okay. we didn't understand what makes them work we didn't understand how they're even their origin and i felt very strongly at that time that trying to go, go there and trying to understand how biology is building all these high performance systems and when you look at the systems they don't look like anything that you would have built <laughs> right they have w- uh, circuitry and the ways that they are created that people uh, for, i mean for example. It turns out a cell has about the same number of components as a Boeing 777 airplane. And so, you know, it's a pretty uh, complex. complex, complex thing, right? Uh, but a Boeing 777, we have the rules to make it. We and we can people, you know, don't fly those things without confidence that they actually do fly. So there's computer simulations and things that tell us that these things are working the way that we intend. But. For cells, we don't have any computer programs that can predict anything they do because we don't know the underlying laws of how they operate. And in fact, it's it, it, we can't just borrow it directly from what we understand about traditional engineering. That's clear so far uh, because the underlying principles of these systems is really somehow radically different. We don't have a physics or an engineering or circuit theory for biology in the way that we have it for all these other things that we can build so easily. And I'll tell you one of the things that biological systems can do that we in man-made engineering have never achieved. And it's the ability to have both high performance and the ability for a thing to be adaptive. And let me explain what I mean by that. Okay. So in normal man-made engineer engineering, there's a general rule that the more and more high performance you make a system, the more and more fragile it gets, so it, bec- it it breaks easier as it becomes more and more optimized for its function. So, for example, an Italian sports car is a is a, is an amazing machine, but you know it's also very highly tuned and tends to, tends to require a lot of attention. Um, on the other hand, biology is able to make systems that are arbitrarily high performance. In fact, in enzymes, we have the concept of a perfect enzyme, an enzyme that can work as fast as theoretically possible. And yet that system remains adaptive. So when the environment changes and it's it's asked to do a different job, it can find a path of random variation to get to the new function. So the, uh, the ability to create what are called high performance adaptive materials Has never been possible in engineering, but that's something we could learn by studying biology. So, in essence, we'll get an Italian sports car that will never break down. That's right, or maybe even get an Italian sports car that, if you ask it to use a different fuel, (laughs) would find a way to get there and be able to do that. So, it's this ability to have both performance and adaptive uh, capacity, which really, for right now, we have no formal theory how how that works. If you sit down and you're thinking, "My gosh, this is what could come out of." the work that we're doing here. Yeah. What's the potential? I mean, it's a bit hard to be specific about the actual uh, products that will come out of this thing. What I can tell you is one thing is that whatever biology is doing in, in, uh, in the way that cells work and the way the brain works, for example, the brain is not computing anything the way that we know of <laughs> is working. The moment we understand these things, the, the number of things that we'll be able to do uh, right now, it's hard to even predict it. It's, it's a kind of a vast space of new engineering. It's like, almost like having, um, you know, a day, uh, there, was, there was a day in, um, in our understanding of science that we had Newton and we had Newton's laws, right? And we had the days before. You couldn't imagine uh, what would be the impact. It's almost like that where we are with biology, where there's, there's, it's so devoid of any principles at all. It's hard for us to even imagine right now. But if you ask the question, why do we think that there are simplifying laws in biology, right? I would say it's almost like um, an, an article of faith in in science is the idea that complex phenomena can be reduced to simple understandings. I don't think there's a formal proof that such things are have to be true. But that's been our experience always in science. Every time we look at something and we say, wow, that looks like an amazingly complex thing, we go and study it very carefully and we find out underneath it somewhere is some simple thing that's going on, uh, of which this is one manifestation. And
1: now that you understand it-
2: And now that we understand it, we can connect a broad range of phenomena to this one concept, right? And then we get engineering, right? Because engineering comes from understanding- The essential laws that govern the behaviors of things, right? Uh, I mean, if you don't have that, you're just stabbing in the dark. Uh, So what you need to do is to be able to deduce the laws from which you can build not just one thing, but a, a whole variety of things that share the common principle. It grabbed something in the human imagination whenever whoever told the first story told it yet this is what writing is a leaving behind i love the seminary co-op
1: let me say how happy i am to be here among my people in the temple of the book insightful observant and recorded live in chicago's world-renowned seminary co-op bookstores OpenStax brings you conversations with scholars Poets, activists, and more on subjects as eclectic as the books on our shelves. Plus the latest in scholarly publishing and books of endurance with views from the co-op's venerable front table. Join the conversation at semcoop.com or wherever you
0: download podcasts. Open stacks. Stay tuned. Stay curious.
1: So when you first started thinking this was a possibility... Did your colleagues think that's too far-fetched, or my gosh, this guy's on to something?
2: I'll tell you, there is a lot of uh, discord in the scientific community of whether there are principles in biology. People are saying, what do you mean general principles? I mean, what general principle? There's just this richness of biology. And there are people that I would say are celebrating the complexity of biology and are, you know, think that that's that is what there is to say. We, we just need to observe all these things and write our papers, and and we will explain biology one piece at a time, right? And then there are people like me who say, no, uh, these, there's, underlying th- there's underlying principles. And in fact, we are, should be always trying to unify these things into these principles. Mm. I don't think it's broadly accepted. But I think it's clear that, that such rules exist because biology is doing it. We see it all around us. But what was not clear was how to get there. Mm. Because the problem is if you start uh, taking apart biological systems, since they're evolved systems, we don't necessarily understand their design. We don't see how they're put together. Their rules of design are so different than what we build that the question was, how do you learn the simple rules that are underneath uh, these very, very complex, seemingly very complex systems. And so that's been actually the uh, uh, thing that I focused on right at the beginning is finding a strategy towards this problem, which we seem to have done now, right? And that strategy seems to be now be paying off to the point where we are able to design synthetic systems that look like biological systems, at least at some scale. I would think, based on what you're talking about, people will want to be checking in with you on an
1: hourly basis. <laughs> that are thinking, mm-hmm. my gosh, if this guy figures this stuff out, the
2: yeah. potential for commercial value it could be could be quite meaningful. Right. Well, I, I'll say two things about that. One is that even in our own field in in, in biological science, there is a uh, we're asking in some sense for a change of uh, view about biology itself instead of thinking about biology as a whole collection of detailed stories about all the parts of the systems to try to work on these simplifying, unifying principles, which I think is a cultural difference uh, that we're asking for in in biology, which is happening, uh, but it's going to take some time for that to become completely uh, uh, the case. But from a point of view of the practical outcomes of this work, uh, I think that there is a huge amount of excitement, obviously, about the potential, uh, that could be, uh, if we were able to achieve our goals. I think it'll take, uh, us demonstrating, uh, these principles in some practical steps over the next five to 10 years before that, uh, becomes really, uh, uh, I would say a routine and practical. Uh, it's just a, it's just a little bit away from, <laughs> from, from that state right now where we can immediately make these things into practical- uh, so when you things. say it's a little bit away, what does that mean? Well, what I mean is that I think there's some fundamental things that we have to work out still, both conceptually and technically, about how to use the knowledge that we're learning about these systems to actually uh, practically build uh, synthetic uh, versions of biological systems. Uh, I mean, and those, but those are things that we can see happening it's just things that haven't happened yet. But, and I think in the next five to 10 years, we will have some of the uh, critical tech. For example, I can tell you one of the key technologies that will be necessary is rapid, cheap DNA synthesis. We have to be able to create synthetic genes. When we, when we build designs in, uh, of biological systems, what we'd like to do is to build the DNA that codes for, for example, proteins. And we'd like to be able to put those synthetic DNA molecules, the synthetic genes back into biological systems. But creating synthetic DNA is expensive and slow right now. Uh, and it is actually a limiting technology in you know, us being able to proceed in the future. So for example, solving that kind of uh, technical problem to be able to cheaply create uh, DNA molecules, uh, what I'm talking about here is synthetic genes and ultimately synthetic genomes. Um, is going to be a critical uh, uh, step in achieving the practical potential of all this uh, of these ideas. Uh, that will take a little bit of time.
1: And so you're at the stage of just beginning to build out your your lab here at the University of Chicago.
2: Yes. <laughs> and, and 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 what is this going to look like? It's going to have three components to it. Actually, uh, the, the lab will uh, uh, continue to work on this problem of trying to find the simple rules underneath the uh, systems that are evolving, particularly focused on proteins and cells. Uh, But we've learned so much about that now, actually, that we are moving on to two other problems. One is, can we understand how a thing works? Now that we know the simple rules underneath it, can we actually directly study the physics of these uh, biological systems? And to do that uh, at the level of proteins... We are actually taking advantage of Argonne National Laboratories, okay. at which we have facilities f- which, for the first time, we can directly probe the mechanics of proteins to see how they work directly uh, w- by doing experiments using uh, synchrotron radiation. So that's one new thing that I'm adding coming here to Chicago. And the and the second new thing is uh, to actually, uh, everything we've done so far has, has been accomplished by looking at the past history of what evolution has done and by studying the products of what has come through the process of evolution. Now we are in the laboratory learning how to do forward evolution. And that means to start with materials in the laboratory and make them go through an evolutionary process and actually look at the future history of these sort of uh, systems as they're evolving in the laboratory. Uh, so forward evolution is a really new thing. It's a uh, uh, evolution has taken millions and millions of years. How do we reproduce that in the laboratory? Well, it turns out that we can speed up the process of evolution uh, quite a lot, actually, in the laboratory. And we're able, in practical time, uh, to be able to do forward evolution experiments. So I think doing the forward evolution will really allow us to test our ideas uh, that we've learned by looking at the past history of evolution. Okay. What gets you really excited when you when you come in? And I imagine it's probably hard
1: to shut this off, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is uh, seven days a week you're thinking That's about this. That's for sure, right. Well, what, what gets you really excited when you start saying, I think we have the potential of
2: right. X? Well, I, I think we, we have the potential now to – simplify our understanding of biology, which looks so very complicated. If you look at all of the papers that are being published, there's a huge number of facts of all the individual parts of these systems, all the reactions, every single thing seems to have a a story. So science in biology has become almost a kind of storytelling, uh, where each of the parts are considered uh, individually and their stories told. But I think what I really gets me excited is the idea that one day we will understand the simple uh, laws underneath these systems, uh, which will explain their behaviors without having to memorize all of the detail of all the parts taken into it. So we have like, not Newton's law, but, but right. Rama's law? Some, <laughs> yeah. Well, it won't be Rama's law, it'll okay. be the work of many people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, but it's something like that, exactly. Like when you think about it, Newton's law, uh, put together a whole slew of different phenomena that look all different uh, into a single law uh, that, with which we could predict all those things. Right. It's exactly what we're missing in biology is any kind of unifying law like that, which takes many of the observations that we see and is able to explain them through the action of a simple principle. That is the most exciting thing that we could achieve, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: The vast majority of folks I worked with in the jail needed something else than
0: incarceration. How can we ask parents or caregivers to do the hard work of taking care of a sick child, which is the scariest thing in the world, while starving? Then you really have a way of having science and policy come together in a way that really speaks to the magic of cities. From the University of Chicago, this is Knowledge Applied, a new podcast where we'll go inside the research, reshaping everyday life. In our first season, meet the experts who are digging into some of the toughest questions facing cities today. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts.
2: With all the work that you've done, how did you get to proteins? I was interested in how biology is building information processing systems, material processing systems. You could say that's uh, the true from the scale of ecosystems all the way down to the scale of atoms and the way the proteins are made. When I first came to biology, I started at the top level and tried to uh, figure out what could be done practically, right? And it turns out that the experimental and technical power we have to solve these problems of this design and evolution are optimal at the level of proteins and cells. The technologies are really most powerful down at the scale of proteins and cells, and so it makes only it was the rational rash- choice is only. In fact, I would say it was the only choice. Okay, uh, to really, if you really want to work on on the process of evolution itself, then it was the right scale at which one should work. Is there going to be a point where you feel like you've unlocked something,
1: the discoveries, the inventions? Um, the opportunities are going to come at a rapid pace.
2: It's hard for us to see that in biology right now because we don't have these laws yet, right? And we don't know where, uh, what things it will enable once we have them. But we can go back and look at history, right? And see what has happened in other areas when such laws were discovered. So in the early 1800s, the 19th century, one of the, uh, you know, it was just after the Industrial Revolution, people were building engines now of all sorts uh, and engines, of course, burn fuel and then produce work. What everybody wanted to know was how to optimize these engines, right? It makes sense. You uh, you want to uh, minimize your fuel costs and get the most amount of work done, right? And what people were doing, actually, to optimize these engines looks a lot like what we're doing in biology today, okay. which is that there were detailed modeling, individual engines trying to optimize their specific characteristics, right? And it, And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But even when it did work whatever they learned about how how to optimize one engine didn't transfer to any other engine. It was like a specific model for the specific case. So what happened at that time that changed everything was the arrival of a guy called Sadi Carnot. And so Sadi Carnot is a a physicist who comes and he says, look, if there's anything general to say about the relationship of fuel burned over here and work being done in by an engine. It has to be true for all imaginable engines, not just the ones, the particular ones that we're making here today. And so what he uh, achieved, managed to do was a complete cultural change where he threw away all the detail of the individual engines and made the most abstract, simple uh, concept of an engine and deduced some laws. And you know what those laws were called? They're called the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, which, uh, you know, which began a line of work, which many people contributed to later on. But that is now the reason we're able to build all the machines that we have today. The laws of thermodynamics are like the foundational structure on which all of modern engineering and physics is built. Without Sadi Carnot, there would be no general uh, ideas of how to build complex machines. And then People were able to do so many things that were not even envisioned at the time that Sadi Carnot uh, made his initial discoveries. So, it, what I'm trying to say is, what we're doing today in biology is like that. We're modeling individual proteins and individual cells and individual organisms, and not seeing anything. That's, so, what
1: will this be called? The laws of what? When we get it, there, uh,
2: yeah. So it would be the. I guess it would be the laws of biological design, uh, or biology, or, or, or design of living systems, maybe something like that. But I guess what I'm saying is what we need today is the Sadi Carnot for biology, Okay. which, uh, which uh, we don't know what that looks like. And that's why it's hard to be specific about what sort of practical uh, things we'll be able to build once we have these uh, sort of unifying laws for, for biology. Now, you could make one uh, argument and say, well, how do we know such simple laws even exist? Maybe biology is just really complicated and it's truly a, a, an intractably complex system. Well, we don't believe that's the case, because a process like evolution is a very, very uh, underlying, uh, uh, it is a very simple idea of just stepwise variation and selection. That's Darwin's idea, right? Things uh, change, forms change through variation and selection. And we feel like that kind of a process has such uh, simplicity to it that the systems it builds may look very complicated and, and hard for us to understand. But underneath there, there are these simple laws that we don't yet see. And they may not look like any other laws we have for building any machines that we know of today. But when we have them, we'll be able to now have a completely new playing field in being able to analyze systems, that is to understand your genome or a uh, bacterial cell or anything like that. But we'll also have the rules to design synthetic ones. Uh, and and you know what that looks like, At this day, uh, at this moment right now, it's hard to say, but we know it's going to be very exciting. One of the um, key things I want to point out is the need to draw from many disciplines to be able to solve this problem. This is not just a a problem that looks traditionally like biology uh, has in the last 40 or 50 years. We need people from computer science, from engineering, uh, from uh, economics, even, because it turns out some of the theories in economics. Uh, look a lot like some of the theories that we're trying to uh, expose for evolution. Now we're experiencing in biology, the influx of people from many non-traditional backgrounds I think that's going to be quite essential. And one of the exciting things about coming to University of Chicago is the capacity to draw on that breadth of disciplines to be able to address this one problem in biology. And
1: what I consistently hear here is the barriers that may exist in other places really are, are that's re- right. really quite quite removed here.
2: Yeah, and I think that the uh, Institute for Molecular Engineering is a prime example of this. Uh, this is an uh, a, a institute which... Uh, is doing engineering in a very non-traditional sort of way. So it sort of paved the way for the kind of way that we need to take with this problem in, in evolution, uh, which is to integrate across disciplines. There's no, uh, uh, there's no one uh, background which is ideal for, uh, to solve this problem. You need people that are interdisciplinary individuals. Who are coming from many different backgrounds to work on this kind of a, a, a problem. But what it really
1: takes is having somebody with a clear vision of what it Certainly. could be, that all the pieces can come together. And so we're eager to see how this develops. We'll keep tabs on the growth and the progress that you're making. And hopefully you'll come back and give us some updates as, as things progress. Of course. I can't wait to see how it works out myself. Good.
0: <laughs> Big Brains is a production of the U Chicago Podcast Network. To learn more, visit us at news.uchicago.edu and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you liked Big Brains, you might enjoy another UChicago podcast, Knowledge Applied, taking you inside the research, reshaping everyday life. Thanks for listening.